Hello again ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 122 of Radiance, my original Fallout fanfiction. As always, I do hope you'll like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can. And leave feedback at these sites via either fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org or even at my own website ghostnobody.com. All your comments and thoughts are always welcome and thoroughly enjoyed. And if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, stop in and check out Storm Rider while you're there. You know, if big surly dragoness girls, orcs and elves, magical realms, and big glorious battles are your thing, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. Oh, and there's a smattering of undead chucked in there as well, because everyone loves zombies, right? Check it out. I'm sure you'll find something you'll enjoy. And also, while you're there, check out the ghostly links section. This contains links to all my old stories, things like Hunter Hunted, Redux, Enemy of My Enemy, but also to my original novel works, Mortis, for sale on Smashwords and on Amazon. Pick yourself up a copy. Help support me and keep me doing what I love. Bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. This is just fan fiction. That's all the realm of Bethesda. I just keep the crazy tales happy. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 122 where go only ghosts tread. As Riss and her beloved husband moved silently through the shadows of the tunnels underneath the satellite station, she felt her heart swelling with a feeling of pride. Being able to do such good for innocent people, such as those in prison in the catacombs here, made Riss so very happy. Ever since she had joined this incredible group, not only had she watched them go from strength to strength under Seven's leadership, but now they were truly in a position to do some serious good for the world. And not only that, but they were getting stronger by the day as it more and more rallied to their flag. In all honesty, she had worried when some of the group had split up to accomplish multiple goals all at once. She'd kind of feared that their overall strength had been degraded and it would end up costing them in the long run, making them far less effective at helping people. But, as it had turned out, her fears had been completely unfounded, because not only had she seen Raymond truly come out of his shell, but he had truly raised to the occasion and become a truly incredible statesman and indeed leader. Not only had he managed to broker a peace that many would have thought unobtainable, if not impossible, between non-humans and the Brotherhood of Steel, but he had managed to use the same effort to stop a war and to turn enemies into allies. Even now, as she and her beloved husband stalked the darkness of the tunnels below the base, their power-armoured comrades of the Tame Brotherhood attachment were setting up positions ready to attack their mutual enemy, all while their other comrades from the Valkyries moved to disable their long-range communication network, all of them working as one. This incredible teamwork was made possible only because of their biological and evolutionary differences, which had made possible only because of the efforts that had been made by Raymond, who had taken Seven's lessons in unity truly to heart and was now truly putting them into effect. He saw the strength of each of his team and he instinctively knew where best to use them. He had made them feel needed and special. He had given them confidence not only in their skills but in themselves as well. And this, this had really made them shine. Take Zixi for an example of this. Once, 
She was a shy little alien who was a stranger to this world, taking a massive risk in reaching out to Seven all the months ago in the hope that he would free her and treat her fairly. Now, not only she was a mender of hearts and minds, but one of their most powerful members, while also standing on the edge of taking her very first steps down the roads of interspecies love. And it was thanks to Seven's faith and Raymond's confidence. The pair of them had taken that shy little alien girl and made her shine like a bright star. And now, as they stalked those dark tunnels below the base, she felt invincible, because she knew there was nothing that all those stationed above their heads would not do to save them, if one of them had got into trouble. I sense a group up ahead of you. Be warned. I feel some of their intelligence operatives in the area think they're questioning someone by the height and digression, but it is difficult to tell from here. Watch out for traps on the lead up to the holding area. They will have not left this place undefended. Though how much they know about these tunnels and their extent is unknown, Zixi's quiet voice said into both of their minds. Riss and Runs looked at one another, and he signalled that he would look for traps while she watched their backs, and she nodded, vanishing from sight as she engaged her cloaking ability. Through the field that surrounded her body, Riss watched as her husband became a living shadow and moved close to the wall, treading carefully as he checked for hidden defences. As it happened, it didn't take him long to find one. Runs up held up a bald fist, which told her to stop dead, and she froze as still as an invisible statue, while he moved slower than the passage of time itself. He lowered himself down onto his belly and crawled forward, while her sharp eyes tracked his movements, until he revealed what it was that he'd spotted, and as it turned out, it wasn't one thing, it was two or more. It was the first of a series of hidden landmines which had been buried under the loose dirt and dust to disguise them, which she now revealed by very gently scooping a handful of dust off the top of it, revealing the shiny metal hidden underneath. The second was revealed when he blew the handful of dust into the air he'd scooped up. The cloud revealed a series of red laser beams crisscrossing the tunnel ahead of them though she couldn't exactly see what they were connected to. Runs could, though, and he pointed towards the ceiling further along, causing her to tilt her head up to follow the direction of his point, and that's when she saw the series of flat metal discs set into the ceiling a little ways off. Turrets. She breathed and Runs nodded as he sat down slowly and very cautiously about disarming the landmines. Though he didn't leave them where they were, once he'd made them safe, he took them along. As to be fair, turning the enemy's own weapons against them was one of his specialities. Riss now lowered herself onto her belly alongside her husband, and she crawled through the laser grid as they disarmed every single mine they found, making a safe path through the tunnel, until they were finally able to stand up directly underneath the turrets themselves. Runs turned to to her and using hand gestures he mimed her disabling them which she nodded her head at even as tall as she was she couldn't easily reach the disc set into the ceiling so she wound up having to dig her large claws into the rock in order to lift herself into reach of them digging her toe claws into the rock on either side of the tunnel in order to reach the appropriate height 
If one had direct access to the turrets, they were actually remarkably easy to disable. And Riss remembered Seven's lessons on how you to do it, should they ever encounter these things. There were two things they needed to hit in order to kill it without destroying the thing itself. The first was a control relay, which fed data from the sensors to the brain of the turret. Without this, it would be effectively blind and deaf. Then all she had to do was pull out two fuses in sequence. The first of these fuses controlled the arming mechanism, which would prevent any backup or redundant systems from being able to trigger the turret. The second was the firing control matrix, without which the turret would be unable to fire at all. Now, most people would say, why would you not simply remove this first? And this indeed was a question that Risk herself had asked Seven, as he was giving them all the lessons with the captured turret that he'd pulled out of one of the bunkers. Well, the answer provided seemed to be a simple one. A lot of the turrets, especially the newer models, had backup trip systems. That if someone pulled the firing control matrix, it would simply reroute power through all the other systems that they had just disabled. So by pulling this fuse first, you were accomplishing nothing other than fooling yourself into thinking the turret was now offline, when it was actually the opposite was true. A fact that he proved by pulling said fuse and throwing it to Riss, who, when she caught it, found herself now staring down the barrel of the thankfully unloaded turret. With the clicking of that firing pen hammering away on an empty chamber, that instilled a powerful need to never take anything for granted in her. Once Riss had disabled all of the ceiling turrets, she clambered back down and promptly destroyed the essential components fully, rendering the turrets completely inert, which she then signalled to her beloved husband, before the pair of them continued on now on their way, with a fresh coat of caution shrouding them both. Watch yourselves. You are coming up on the holding area. I sense multiple enclave spectres there, Zixi's voice said into their minds, and once again the pair nodded at one another in confirmation that they had both heard the warning. The holding area made Riss think of what would happen if somebody crossed a mine with a prison looked like they'd actually carved holding cells right into the very rock itself, and each cell seemed to be fitted with a reinforced steel door that completely hid their occupant from view. Riss tried to imagine the misery of someone incarcerated in a place like this. Cut off from the world, unable to see the sun or even feel fresh air on your skin. Hell, someone in a place like that time would have no meaning especially if they were locked in there under either artificial light burning all day and night, or even worse, total darkness. Though it would only be worse really if the prisoner was human, or one of the species with poor night vision. For someone like her with crystal clear dark vision, darkness was actually an ally, and indeed an old friend rather than a foe. But someone like her beloved husband... It would really be a fucking nightmare made reality. Given that scorpions tended to live underground in the darkness, she imagined their dark eyes would actually be pretty good. And if their eyes weren't, then they would most likely have evolved a method for dealing with crushing darkness. From somewhere off to their right, down what appeared to be a rather narrow tunnel that ran right off the main, highly illuminated chamber, they could hear a pair of raised voices. It seemed that someone indeed was being interrogated, though thanks to the rock, he really couldn't make out what was being said due to the scattering and muffling effects of it. 
Wrist motion for her husband to head for the main cell that Zixi had indicated was most likely where the scorpions were being held. He motioned back, asking what she was going to do. She motioned that she was going to investigate the interrogation, as it might be the chance for them to not only free another prisoner, but to grab one of the spectre agents away from the others without any of the others noticing. And thanks to her abilities, she'd be the only one that really could get close enough to do it properly. Ruddens thought about this for a moment, before nodding, and with a kiss for good luck, he vanished into the shadows, making his way to the large and kind of obvious main holding cell on the upper level of the two-storey holding area. Meanwhile, Riss silently made her way through the lit area, as she noticed a few of the spectres milling about. She found herself surprised at how much like simple, normal people they looked. Usually when they encountered Enclave personnel, they were meticulously groomed, dressed to the nines, in elaborate uniforms, and their entire presence screamed military. But for some reason, not these guys. They wore simple civilian clothing. They had beards and long, scruffy hair. There was no real sign of any Enclave regalia. Hell, at a simple glance, they looked no different from a simple caravan guard that one might encounter on the roads. But then she guessed to herself that was probably kind of the point, wasn't it? Thankfully, there was only three doors in the passage that she now headed down, and there were lights spaced out along the ceiling, creating pools of thick shadow in between, which were fairly easy to hide in, and it didn't take her long to locate which of the doors behind which the interrogation was taking place, thanks to the muffled mumbling and periodic shouting. Rist gave thought to bursting into the room, but given that she had no true idea what was behind the door, she truly felt that that was probably a very bad idea. She had to concoct a way to draw them out of there. So taking a look around the dead-end corridor, the only thing that Riss could really see of any use were the large domed lights that were spaced out along the ceiling, as it contained very little else. That's when a plan began to form in her mind and a smile crossed her face as she flicked a long tongue at the light directly outside the door. Silently, she used her long legs to push off one of the walls, using her tail to stabilise herself, buying her enough time to be able to wedge a foot into each side of the corridor walls to hold her aloft. Thankfully, there were clips along the circular metal casing that shielded the bulb within, so she wouldn't have to smash the glass. Carefully, she removed each of the clips, until the outer casing finally swung down on a hinge allowing her to simply unscrew the bulb housed within. As soon as it was loose enough, the light flickered out, creating a perfect pool of shadows directly outside the door. Though she would need to kill the light at the end of the corridor in the same fashion, otherwise anyone stood in said pool would actually be silhouetted against the light beyond it. So, quickly shimmying herself down the corridor ceiling, Riss reached the other light and sabotaged it in the same way as the first plunging the entire end of the corridor now into pitch blackness. As she turned back to the door and began to move, her heart suddenly froze in her chest. The door was being unlocked from the inside. Rest froze as still as a statue in the narrow gap of the corridor ceiling as the door swung open below her, sending a small column of golden light spewing forth into from the room beyond and piercing the pool of shadow she'd created. One of the two spectres stepped forth from the room and immediately stopped dead in the corridor, looking up into the gap of the ceiling where Riss was hidden. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake, 
you goddamn lights are shit. How many fucking bulbs have we burned through in this week alone? The spectre, a man in his mid-thirties, maybe early forties, with greying hair and an annoyingly handsome face, said, obviously speaking to the other, who was still inside the room with the prisoner. Another burnout? The spectre still in the room asked, and the man nodded, lighting a cigarette with a large golden lighter that he took from the pocket in his lather long leather trench coat. Yeah, looks like a double one this time. Either the bulbs are shit or the wiring is. But then this place is a couple of hundred years old, so what do I expect? Suppose we should just be glad that it works at all. I'm going for a piss, and I'll grab some spare bulbs and some coffee on the way back. You want a cup? Gassed. Yeah, black two sugars. Get the feeling we might be here a while. Because I get the feeling we're just getting warmed up with our guest here. Wouldn't you agree? Female Spectre said, obviously aiming the end of that steam at the unseen prisoner, who simply let out a pain groan in response, which elicited a chuckle from both of the Spectres. As the man walked away into the complex, Riss leaned her head down to look through the still open door, and what she saw beyond surprised her. There was a human male sat at the table, with a light being shone into his face from a large metal round lamp that was mounted to a metal table. He looked to be in his mid-thirties, maybe late thirties at most, though it was kind of hard to tell because it looked like he'd been pretty badly beaten if the pair of black eyes and the forest of bruises that lit his face were anything to go by. He was handcuffed by both wrists to a bar on the side of the metal table, which forced him to hunch over into what was obviously a rather uncomfortable position, all while female Spectre, who looked to be an Asian woman in her late twenties, sat opposite him with her legs crossed, in a very relaxed posture, as she read what appeared to be some sort of intelligence file. You know, Sasha, this would go a lot easier and a lot quicker if you just simply tell us where your fellow Cossacks are hiding. You'd spare yourself and them a whole lot of pain, because we all both know it's only a matter of time before we catch up with them. You don't get to romp around causing us this much grief and simply walk away from it, you know? The spectre said, gesturing idly to him. Fuck you. I never betray my brothers and sisters. The man replied through gritted teeth, and in a heavy accent that told Riss he was not from around these parts. Though to be fair, she'd never heard it before, so where he was from was a bit of a mystery. The female agent sighed and chuckled to herself before closing the file and then striking as rapidly as a rattlesnake, she stuck the burning butt of the cigarette she was holding right in between the knuckles of the centre of Sasha's right hand. Sasha roared through gritted teeth, and the look in his brilliant blue eyes was one of pure fury as he looked right into the face of the woman. I don't want to do this, you know. I have much better things to be doing with my time. So why don't you just save us both a whole lot of time and effort, and in your case pain, and just give it up? she said in a relaxed and somewhat amused-sounding voice. Riss dropped silently down from the ceiling, as quiet as a shadow. She moved into the room. Though it's a surprise, her entrance didn't go unnoticed. She could actually see Sasha's brilliant blue eyes tracking her movements as she moved silently up behind the spectre. And it was obvious he couldn't actually see through her cloak. He did seem to have noticed the very faint shimmer that the radiation she used to hide herself gave off. Now, while this did intrigue Riss, she really didn't have time to ponder it, 
there's no telling how long her partner would be gone for and she needed this needed to secure this spectre and to release this prisoner before we'll get they both got back to a pe people and he returned and raised hell so striking faster than this female spectre could have ever hoped to have achieved Riss stepped right out of her cloaking field and she sank her fangs into the neck of the woman she grabbed both of her wrists at the same time and secured them with her far superior strength the woman tried to yell out an alarm but Riss's grip on her throat strangled that cry off so it was more than a gurgle while she yanked the woman up and over the back of her chair holding her in a position that made it impossible for her to actually fight back while the small dose of venom she'd shot into her did its job thanks to her being bitten right in a major vein the venom was pumped right into her heart where it spread very rapidly throughout her entire body paralyzing her in mere seconds and causing her whole body to go limp now this could have bitten right into her carotid artery but artery hits were always a risky business as not only could you risk piercing too deep which would cause her to bleed to death but it could also deliver too high of a dose direct to her brain which would cause her to die prematurely so once she was sure the venom had done its job Riss released the woman and pulled out the binding she brought in order to secure the prisoner while the man called Sasha simply stared at her in a mystery of disbelief and curiosity a night stalker here Sasha said in a very quiet and low voice which surprised Riss she'd half expected him to start yelling at the sight of her but it seemed that the man was far more observant than he let on probably how he'd actually managed to notice her while cloaked in the first place indeed my name is Riss and I am an agent of the free peoples of the wastes and we and our allies have come here to free the non-human prisoners the enclave have taken if you wish we could take you as well she said in a very quiet voice you can talk well now this is a surprise and uh i will come with you enemy of my enemy is my friend after all and you are obviously no friend to these animals sasha said glaring at the now bound and unconscious woman that riss had hoisted up onto her shoulder that is an understatement here I will unlock your cuffs and you can follow me out but you must be quick can you walk she asked duh i am tougher than these animals believe sasha said giving her a grin that revealed his blood-stained teeth that were obviously the result of the enclave's hospitality miss took the keys from the unconscious agent on her shoulder and unlocked sasha's cuffs but taking a cautious step back away from him he seemed to notice that as he stood up on shaky legs rubbing his wrists you need not fear me i know a friend when i see one he said follow me then and stay close and quiet we must not alert them riss said and sasha nodded before picking up the spectre sidearm which she dropped when riss had tackled her after he checked it he nodded at her and the pair of them headed out through though not before sasha stopped to shut and relock the door to the interrogation room behind them earning him a strange look from riss should throw them off and buy us a little more time da he whispered your husband just checked in he has been successful 
but he suggests haste. He doubts it will be long before his activities will be discovered, Zixi's voice said into Riss's head suddenly. Can you buy us more time? Riss replied in her mind. Hmm, I see you've found a new friend. Hmm, strange. I did not sense him at first. But no matter. Yes, I believe so. But hurry, as I cannot waste much more strength on this, as it will be needed for the fight that is coming if we are to succeed, Zixi replied. You will meet other prisoners like yourself. Please, do not be alarmed when you see them, Russ said, hissed softly, as he crept to the pools of shadow in the main area of the underground bunker, back towards the tunnels that they'd used to enter. Well, that sounds ominous, but duh, I will keep my head on right, Sasha replied in an equally quiet voice. But when they rounded a corner and found runs waiting for them with a large group of very nervous-looking scorpions, Sasha's eyes went as wide as dinner plates and he said something in a language that Riss didn't recognise. Come, we must go quickly. Shit and fan will soon collide, Run said, beckoning to them. Riss and Runs led the civilian scorpions and the mysterious Sasha back out through the tunnels, but they'd only just made it to the entrance when, they be when her beloved husband's prediction about shit and fan colliding came true, an alarm began to blare somewhere behind them. Think they've found their prisoners missing, Riss said, and Runs nodded in agreement. Quickly now, we must get clear. We are a safe place for yous, with good people to take care of yous. Tremor and Valan are waiting, Runs said. It really caught the attention of the scorpions. The group began to run across the open ground that led from the base of the cliffs, where the tunnels were located, towards the hidden path which would take them back up the hills and around them to where Zixi and her people were located. Suddenly above their heads there was a series of blasts and both Riss and Run spun around as did all of the civil civilians who dove for cover. Though, oddly, Sasha did not. It seemed that the Valkyries had wanted to ensure that the comm systems went down properly and rather than simply taking a set of wire cutters to them, they displayed some small safe charges to the tips of the satellite dishes, essentially blowing the receivers and the transmitters to tiny bits that now rained down onto the base far below. Now the fun really begins, Riss said before quickly turning back to the task of shepherding the civility to civilians to safety. As the group reached the top of the hill, Tremor and Valen were the first to meet them, and there were cheers and hugs being shared among them as they realised that Rista told them the truth, and their friends were indeed with these strangers. I brought you a present, Riss said, spotting Zixie popping her head up from the bank where she and her guard were taking cover behind, and she dumped the still unconscious spectre down at their feet. Excellent. I'll take a look into her later on. But for now, we have a fight to win, Zixie said. What the hell is that? Sasha exclaimed upon seeing the little extraterrestrial. Her name is Zixie, and you will show her respect, Lucas growled angrily at him, causing the man to spot him for the first time, despite him being suited and booted in a full power armour suit. Brotherhood? Working with non-humans? This is very strange. But it does seem we have something in common this day, brother. Sasha said before he reached under his shirt and lifted up what appeared to be a set of dog tags from under his collar, causing Lucas to lower his weapon and stare at them in surprise. 
I wasn't aware there was other Brotherhood units working in this area, Lucas said in surprise, taking the tags and looking at them, as if he was trying to ascertain their validity. We're not exactly from this area, but I will explain all later. Right now, I would say we have worse problems to deal with, Dar. Sasha said, taking his dog tags back and pointing towards the satellite base, which causes Ixie to smile at him. Oh, don't you worry about them. We got them covered. Miss, you and Runs had better head back down into the tunnels. Make sure no stragglers use them to escape. Sixie said and the pair nodded, before melting back into the shadows in the direction of the tunnels. This is a very strange group, Sasha said and Zixie grinned up at him. Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. We're just getting warmed up. Real show's about to begin, so take a seat and watch how we take care of our problems, Zixie said, pointing to the base. You need me here anymore, or should I head back to join the others now? Lucas asked, and Zixie nodded, not exactly happy about sending Lucas into harm's way, but she did trust the pretty human to look after himself. Take care of yourself now, because I have plans for you later, she said, and Lucas chuckled before giving her a wave and a salute. Yes, ma'am, he said jokingly before he take, took off down the hill at a jog. Sasha planted herself planted himself down on the bank next to Zixie, just as the first shots began to ring out, ring out below, causing him to peek his head up over the parapet of the hill. As the flames rounds ringed by, fired by the Ronin for their massive crossbows followed them in. The crossbows that the Ronin were using were something that Jack cooked up on the road a while back. They were made using salvaged leaf spring suspension units from old vans and some heavier cars and vehicles, which had been mounted onto a reinforced frames to form the limbs. They were more like man-portable ballistas than normal crossbows. And even with the cocking cranks, you needed the strength of a mutant or a claw to be able to cock and fire them. They fired a specially modified large bolt made from steel rebar that were powerful enough to punch through a concrete wall at a hundred feet away. They also had the added benefit of being able to have their loads modified. Like now, for instance. The bolts were modified to carry bottles on the tips and they were filled with a particularly nasty mixture of Jack's own design that when set on fire was an absolute nightmare to put out. Something involving gasoline and plastic. So, with the glass of the outer windows blown outwards by some very well-placed shots from the Brotherhood marksmen and some of Jack's own men, the volley of the bolts that followed them had nothing to stop them or detonate them early from reaching the inside of the base and lighting it up, which they did so very nicely. Now, while flames weren't exactly the biggest threat to somebody walking around in power armour, it was kind of designed to resist heat up to including that of a nuclear blast, though not obviously at ground zero, it did still offer incredible protection from it. But for those like the Spectres, who didn't have the luxury of such protection, they were driven away from the flames, and right into the sights of the teams dotted around the compound. The rapidly spreading flames also served a few other purposes as well. One was to spread confusion and mild panic. Another was to possibly destroy valuable equipment and arms. And then finally, it was to flood the place with thick smoke, making it nigh on impossible to see where the incoming fire and movement of the other side troops was coming from, leaving them very little option but to flee their cover if they wanted to mount any kind of plausible defence. But it wasn't only the fire that would drive the elite soldiers from their cover. 
It was the seeming invasion of their base by ravenous and seemingly fireproof attack claws. Or so they thought, anyhow. Because as the base's defenders began to rally and pile the pressure back on towards the attackers, raining fire down on them, as they turned to green ground, Zixia unleashed her little ace in the hole. You see, she'd been biding her time, letting the fire and the confusion do its work, sowing seeds of fear and confusion among the ASF and the Spectres, as they fought to not only contain the rapidly spreading flames, but also repel the advancing attackers, seemingly coming in from all sides. And when she felt their mental defences were stretched to breaking point and were just right, she unleashed. The first thing she did was create a very convincing illusion that timed to coincide with an explosion from a gas canister towards the far side of the compound, which made them believe that a group of mutants had broken through the fencing were now running through the main compound itself. Secondly, she used the collapsing of one of the outer buildings to create the image of a th in the thick black smoke of the shape of a group of claws moving through the smoke and into the building itself using a hole that had been blown in the back wall by what must have been some of the gas they were using to power the kitchens. The combination of these two things, the, the mutants they could see and the claws that they couldn't, served to drive the defenders' anxiety levels through the roof. And with this happening, this left Zixi free to start plucking on their fears like a harpist plated, playing the sweetest of melodies. The soldiers themselves, she found, were the hardest to crack. While still being human, it seemed that the Enclave had subjected them to some rather vigorous training in order to resist telepathic attacks. But unlike them, the Spectres didn't seem to have as much combat experience to be able to draw on to shore up their focus and to hold that training in place. So Zixi exploited this, sowing confusion and fear among the remaining Spectres, making them see phantoms and shadows moving among the flames, making their very real fears come to life and seemingly spring at them through the thick clouds of smoke, leaping at them through the flames, even projecting images onto their fellow soldiers and agents. And as it turned out, that was the straw that broke their resolve. Pure panic swept through the spectres faster than the flames were currently engulfing the compound. And they, only, they began firing not only at one another, but that their power-armoured comrades in the ESF as well, leaving them now fighting on multiple fronts while dealing with the infrastructure of the building collapsing around them. Checkmate, Zixi said softly, causing Sasha to look at her curiously as she opened her large black eyes and fixed him with a smirk. What is checkmate? he asked, and she simply gestured with her head for him to look over the parapet once more. As he did, he saw the remaining ESF minus the spectres who had now fled back into the buildings in the hope of reaching the tunnels below so they could make their escape, racing out into the open. As they did, Raymond and his people let out a bellowing war cry that was picked up by all the attackers, from Jack and his Ronin to Jewel and her Valkyries, and even Paladin Wright and her Brotherhood were getting in on the action. And all of them unleashed a barrage of fire onto these soldiers, who, with nowhere left to run or hide, were promptly drilled full of holes by the scathing amount of fire that hit them from all sides at once. Zixie let her mind wander into the shadows of the tunnels, and it seemed that the panic-filled spectres were not having such a great day down there either, as it seemed that not only had Runs and Riss made good use of some of the landmines that they'd repurposed earlier, 
was striking at the panicked agents from the shadows, killing one then melting back into the shadows, amplifying the fears of the others left alive to the point where they wound up killing each other by mistake in the darkness, until none finally remained. Sasha slid down the bank and turned to look at her with an expression full of awe and confusion as he turned back to look at Zixie. Who are you people? he asked. We are the free people of the wastes, and we stand for all, human and non-human alike. And we stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. We punish those who would hurt the innocent, and we deliver justice where there was once lawless exploitation. In short, we bring strength to the weak, and we show them how to be strong, Zixie said proudly. Well said, Zix. That was a hell of a show you put on down there. A familiar voice said, and she turned to see Raymond suddenly striding back up the, over the crest of the hill with Lear in tow, which caused Sasha's mouth to fall over further. Not staying to check the bodies, Raymond? Zixie asked curiously, and before she could answer, Lear got there first. Ah, Jack and his Ronin have it sorted. They insisted my beloved husband and I come to greet our new friends here, Lear said, puffing out her chest and looking every bit the proud Alpha Claw that she was rapidly becoming at Raymond's side. Indeed, Zixie was convinced that the pair were rapidly becoming every bit the power couple for others to aspire to and to look up to that even Seven and Visa were. Both of them suddenly fixed their attentions onto Sasha and Leah cocked her horned head curiously. I wasn't expecting to pull a human out of their clutches, but welcome, friend. Be not afraid, you are among friends here, and no harm will befall you while you walk with us, she said with Raymond nodding in agreement at her side, and as she offered him a large clawed hand to be shaken. Um, thank you. I am Sergeant Sasha Belotrovich of the Second Free Roma Squadron, but those within the Brotherhood simply call us the Cossacks. He said, wearily taking her hand and shaking it. Well, it's good to meet you, Sergeant Bolotrovich. I'm sure Paladin Wright will be eager to meet you. She should be here soon, so sit tight and grab yourself something to eat and drink. If the Enclaves were your host, I doubt you did, the, did you the courtesy of allowing you any basic amenities. Raymond said. Da, they are worse than animals, Sasha said groomly. All right then, will you take a load off while we meet our new freed friends over there? And when the paladin arrives, you will have a sit down and we can fill us in on the details. Sound good, Raymond said and Sasha simply nodded, eyeing the food that they gestured with the eagerness of a starving man. This was going to be an interesting time for all indeed. That was chapter 122, ladies and gentlemen. But who are these mysterious Cossacks and what do they stand for? Are there more of them out there? And where are they hiding? going to be only one way to answer those questions and so many more. You're going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you all next time.